In this week's episode of Physically Spiritual, I'm joined by Father Michael Dandrand as we discuss and explore the topic of spiritual fatherhood. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. This podcast is about my experience of growing physically healthier and how that changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Well, Father Mike, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this week. Andrew, my pleasure. Great to be with you. So I wanted to invite you to the podcast because thinking about my story, this whole series I'm doing right now is on fatherhood. And in my story, um, I've been trying to think of like, who are those people in my life who have taught me about fatherhood? Mm. And my wife and I, Brittany, as you know, have our first son, Solanus. Yeah, Solanus, sure. He's about 14 months old at the point where this episode's being released. He's a handsome young dude. Yeah. He is, he's got the cutest face in the world. I Sometimes think. The, the sum is greater than the total of the parts, and that's definitely <laughs> the case for the child that I have. Oh, my he's, golly. He's, yeah, I've thought about enrolling him in like those child contests where he could like be on a Gerber ad or something, but I held <laughs> off. Um, for the sake of his soul, it's probably best you yeah. get him out of Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but as part of the series, normally on physically spiritual, I'm kind of the, the host. I talk, I monologue, I teach based on what I've discovered, but I'm a rookie father. (laughs) So I've thought about sort of in this series, kind of turning it on its head a little bit. And in a sense, sort of me go back to school by inviting those people who have influenced me in my fatherhood to come and share those lessons with the audience. Uh, so as I get started, I like to ask guests about their own story hmm. because ministry comes from the Lord's calling in our life and the Lord uses the good and the bad to build his kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, read a book, um, certainly trying to understand our sacred stories, mm. the hand of God that's woven in our story makes it sacred. You know, mm. our stories can be pretty twisted at times and while they're graceful, they can get dark as well. But the hand of God makes it a sacred story because mm. it brings good from it. So yeah. uh, I love the idea of retelling the story of God's hand in my life. We won't go too dark, but yeah. <laughs> just a rough sketch. Um, so, uh, Andrew, you and I share the same hometown. Tiffin, Ohio. Tiffin, Ohio. Uh, blessed to grow up in a wonderful little town. I grew up in a Catholic home. Uh, blessed to have both mom and dad um, raised the, myself and five siblings. I'm the fourth of those six. We have three sisters and I have two brothers. Um, growing up in the home as we did, I would consider it a fairly typical home. Uh, nothing extraordinarily spiritual about it, nothing extraordinarily adventuresome about it, nothing extraordinarily um, dysfunctional about it. <laughs> it's just a pretty ordinary Catholic home. Yeah. A lot of good times, but also, you know, just the the struggle of six kids living on one roof and mm. the um sibling rivalries and you know, mom and dad trying to manage six people in <laughs> or six kids and um dad trying to manage um putting food on the table for six. Dad was a um in most of his life was a blue blue collar carpenter, uh union carpenter. Mom was a essentially a stay-at-home mom. She would work part-time eventually as we got into high school. Uh, from that environment, it was, um, we, I never considered myself anything other than rich, but I guess looking back in standards today, we we probably had econo- dad had economic challenges. I can remember that just small things like, you know, 
reduced lunch program was always the gig. Mm-hmm. You know, we always had yeah. the different lunch, different colored lunch token <laughs> when we bought our lunch. Um, I think we got free milk. I remember wearing uh, two jackets to school one winter because we didn't have uh, enough money for a winter jacket. I remember going to my brother's mm-hmm. classroom to pick up the, the one pair of gym shoes that we both shared so that we could have gym class with clean shoes. Um, but yeah, as a kid growing up, that's just normal. You think it's normal. Yeah. Um, so if I really considered a, a fairly good home life, um, in terms of Catholicism, uh, mom and dad were certainly committed to that. Um, they were never explicit about showing um, their Catholic, their spiritual Catholic life to us kids. Mm-hmm. Our prayers would be minimal, the prayer before dinner, the prayer after dinner, uh, the occasional prayer as going to bed, you know, pray as you go to bed. Um, so I would say that, you know, what it is to be a disciple of Christ wasn't necessarily explicitly made known to me in my home, but the hand of God was working very powerfully because I can, the sense of call to priesthood would be present in my life as early as like second grade and would resurface again when I was in junior high and um, resurfaced very strongly my senior year in high school. Hmm. Um, was that called just like like an attraction toward the priesthood or was it like a sense that you had in your heart or or an experience you had of somebody else? It, it was something that spoke with, within my soul. Hmm. Um, now, it's interesting though that God used others to, to allow his voice to echo through theirs. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. So, like, I can remember in second grade or third grade, something like that, we, we we were in a public school, so we went to a CCD program on a Wednesday night, and Sister Eileen Becko, Becko, may, may she rest in peace, good Tiffin Franciscan sister, was a coordinator for that program, so Mom was teaching, and we were assembled up in the uh, teacher's lounge as we were putting things away, with my mom, and as we walked out, Sister Eileen walked down the steps with me, and she goes, now, young man, you might consider being a priest. And my response to her was like, I'm too young. Yeah. How would I know that? Her response back to me was, well, Jesus went to the temple when he was 10. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> Not in my head. And I said, oh, okay. Well, he is the son of God, but. <laughs> so that would be, her voice echoed, and it was like, it was already there, but that invitation, like, prompted something you Mm -hmm. know it never went the conversation never went any further than that Mm -hmm. it was never shared with my mom or my dad um never discussed beyond that point but it's powerful memory yeah uh eighth grade year seventh grade year another quick powerful memory um mom had volunteered my brother and i to help the associate pastor out and the music director of the saint mary's parish to do a project of like putting uh, a music uh, a insert into the hymnal, mm-hmm. and, and so we were sent up there. They we helped copy things off and cut them and insert them into the hymnal. It was a Saturday evening, and um, we were kind of crunched to get these inserts into the hymnals before the four, five o'clock mass. And we're in the church doing this, pulling books, hymnals, stuffing them. Re- re-putting them back and it was just a, a beautiful sunny day and the stained glass windows of our home parish to St. Mary's are just beautiful mm-hmm. and as the sun came in it created such a glow and a warmth in that church 
and uh, people were assembling. And here I was doing something purposeful, something meaningful mm. in this space that just, it felt like a spiritual home. Yeah. Yeah. I just, so in that space and in that environment, the voice of God just kind of echoed in my soul and said, this might be where you belong. Mm. Yeah. And then my senior year in high school, um, I, tip, I was not the typical pre-seminary candidate. <laughs> in fact, if anyone would have looked at my family structure, they would have said my older brother, Steve, would have been the seminary candidate. Hmm. Steve was uh, much smarter, uh, far more disciplined. He was more athletic. He was more spiritual, a great, better server of the mass than I ever was. Uh, so he would have been the candidate. But as it turned out, he wasn't. He was a very successful business entrepreneur and family man and uh but my senior year in high school um the associate pastor father robert tucheri hmm. father robert tucheri was an italian uh always smelled like garlic he did <laughs> he's a delayed vocation so he came as an associate pastor to our parish probably at the age of 55 or 65 hmm. uh father tucheri was um probably as wide as he was tall <laughs> Yeah, wasn't the charismatic young associates of St. Mary's had had previously, but nevertheless, he was a good holy man. And uh, one day after Mass, he just uh, pulled me aside and said, I need to talk to you. Come to the rectory this afternoon. And I dutifully went, (laughs) not knowing what he wanted to talk about. And he simply, um, real brief conversation, but leaned over his desk and looked at me and said, I I think you're called to the priesthood. Hmm. I want you to go to uh, this bishop's dinner be my guest at St. Mm-hmm. Andrew dinner so that was my senior year that was March and um, so much to the surprise of mom and dad and my prom date and my high school classmates <laughs> uh, by mid-March I had applied to the seminary college seminary in Indiana I love that much to the surprise of my prom date yes yeah, <laughs> I applied to the seminary <laughs> she had no idea she didn't have that I she, she didn't even know about it till I left yeah but, but in, in your story just a few things. One, when we're little, whatever is, is what should be. Or that, that's just sort of the message. Like, it's not weird to share your shoes with your brother or to have those different tokens. It just, that was just life. Yeah. Like we just assume that we're all sort of middle class and, and that we're the normal ones. And um, it, it's so striking to me that our, our experience of life early on almost creates like a floor for us or like a default like the place where that we launch off from. Um, but then in these little moments that could just seem re- like really ordinary, like stuffing hymnals, mm. how like God speaks in those moments to make them extraordinary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it, as you were talking about that, it just struck me of like the kind of that like quiet voice of God. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't like make the thunder clap and part the clouds and, give you a locution or something like that. He just gave you this sense in your heart that fit the natural circumstances, mm-hmm. but was really supernatural in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and timed according to where I was hmm. intellectually, spiritually in terms of mature maturity as well. Um, yeah. It unfolded according to his plan, you know, yeah. As I hear your story, I hear 
some echoes of my own because you were assigned back to Tiffin after you were ordained yeah. and were the chaplain at my high school, which is, we might have like known of each other before then from being from the same small town, but that's really when I guess I really knew you. And I remember one class, our religion teacher was, um, was absent mm-hmm. and you came in as the sub and we played basically stump the priest which I know looking back meant you didn't have a lesson plan. <laughs> but at the time, we thought it was pretty cool. And I remember as the class went on, as high school students will, we got more and more bold in the lesson, asking more and more blunt questions. And I remember one girl in the class raised her hand and said, Father Mike, like you look pretty normal. Basically saying like you could have got married if you would have wanted to. <laughs> Like, why did you become a priest? And you told your story. And in that moment, I felt a sense of being at home, like I would be doing something similar in the future. Mm. But it reminds me of that feeling you had in the church. Mm. And then later that school year, one day you asked me to come up to your office. Like somebody delivered a message, go see Father Mike after school. Mm. And I thought I was in trouble. Like, why does the priest want to talk to me? (laughs) And I went up there and you sat down and looked at me and said, Andrew, I think you could be called to be a priest. And I remember just looking at you and saying, like, I think so too, because of how I felt, like when you had been in our classroom talking. Uh-huh. Um, and it just struck me that the experiences in your life too, where somebody noticed something and called you out. Um, but when I think of those experiences, what especially strikes me is just the idea of of being chosen or being like noticed, mm-hmm. right? I think that's what really resonated with me is that like, I wasn't just another kid in the room, but like you saw me mm-hmm. and then you talked to me. It wasn't a, well, boys and girls think about being a priest. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a, it was a personal invitation. And I think there's something about that that's essential to fatherhood in general, mm-hmm. like that, that personal attention that that seeking after the one not as a child but as them as an individual mm-hmm. um and so that that uh that harmony between your story and mine just stood out to me well clearly yeah the being um being sought out as the individual is clearly in my story mm. that for whatever reason sister eileen or father to cherry or um, Father Shanahan, my pastor, you know, there was some sort of deliberate connection to me as a person, Hmm. you know, and in that connection, there was certainly love for who I am as a person, but then the ability for them to see something in me that I was aware of within, but I don't think most people would have been aware of. Hmm. Yeah. And so they they had, they made a connection at a deeper level than other teachers or friends or even family members. Yeah. Yeah. So, so your senior year's up, you've surprised your prom date (laughs) and now you're in the seminary. Yes. Where did it go from there? Uh, I went to a St. Minor College Seminary in Indiana. Um, the hand of God took me there. It would not have been, I mean, it was a great location. It fit my interest. It was a, a rural setting. Southern Indiana is a beautiful, um, in terms of the hills and, and the scenery and and the forest, Hoosier National Forest is down there, and there's just a tremendous amount of outdoor activities to do. And it's quiet. And it's quiet. 
Yeah. 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 Um, so it just, um, it just struck the chord of who I am to be there. And I had four really fantastic years of, um, probably the best Catholic fraternity life you could imagine. I mean, um, so I go there and I'm not the brightest candle in the cake academically, you know, mm. in high school, I wasn't all that interested in academics. I was more interested in cross country or wrestling or extracurricular activities, you know, sport or academics were never my strength. Mm. They were a burden. So I'd go there really it, not equipped to, to succeed in a college environment. Um, but because of the small environment uh, and because it just everybody's there to study, <laughs> you know, you fall in line and you, you're there to study. And, um, yeah, I had some really, my roommate was brilliant. I mean, he graduated valedictorian of the class <laughs> and we were roommates for two years. I had no idea he was that smart. I knew he was smart, but when he, when we graduated, he got valedictorian. I thought, oh my golly, <laughs> you're that guy. <laughs> he didn't even tell you ahead of time. No, I didn't even tell my Humble guy too. Um, so you're, I'm surrounded by just, um, a healthy place for learning. Learning was a part of why we're there. And, uh, that, that saved my academic career hmm. because it, it took a rather marginal underperforming academic <laughs> and made me begin to step up those study skills and writing skills and reading skills and skills of comprehension and communication and all that. So, um, I'm so grateful for that academic environment hmm. and academic environment where again, it's, it's, um, it's an academy. It's a place of learning. And you're having a conversation over the lunch table with your professors, you know, and you're in study pods and you're praying with your teachers and professors. And it's just a really an academy learning environment. Yeah. It was really, there's a rich common life in the seminary, too. Yeah. Where it's not just like a head exercise. It's like your life is headed the same way. What you're learning is pointing toward. Mm. So it's really kind of like a like a harmony. Yeah. Of being on mission together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I struggle to understand how philosophy had anything to do with my life <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> but I uh, would be coached along the way to say that that's important. Uh, so we had that, but we also had great friendships. Um, good, healthy male friendships were there. Um, we certainly studied hard, but we played hard too. Mm. And uh, created some fantastic memories with my college classmates. Uh yeah, and you know, being in a seminary environment, learned how to pray. You know? hmm. uh, I didn't know what to pray. You know, people say go pray. Well, I didn't know what that meant before I went to seminary. I mean, I try to talk to God. I try to pray a rosary. I try to read the Bible, but you know, the art of prayer is something you got to learn. You hmm. got to be exposed to and learn it. I, you know, as a priest now, I just I'm not real quick to just say go pray about it mm-hmm. because if you don't have the art or the skill of that you're telling that person <laughs> what they don't know what to do yeah. uh, so they taught me the art of prayer or let me say that began the the process of learning how to pray because I'm still learning how to pray better mm. seeking deeper communion uh, so yeah great fantastic college experience seminary environment um, at the end of it though I became a, more of an academic, but I'm still not an academic. So at the end of four years, I was rather fatigued with studies and writing and papers. And I had five more years of graduate studies awaiting me after my getting my baccalaureate degree. So that idea was really hard to swallow. Like if, mm-hmm. if God's calling me to priest, he's calling me to five more years. Yeah. If God's calling me to priest, that means this jalopy 
this 83 Dodge Charger that I'm driving that has no floorboards. And (laughs) I got to have that for another five years. The idea that I wouldn't be allowed to date because you don't date in seminary. And, you know, I was still discerning like celibacy and, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so I, um, I wasn't at a place where I wanted to really listen to God's plan for my life. Mm. When I graduated, I really, I had, I had a plan and that was sufficient. Mm. So there was a little bit of a spiritual, uh, you could say obstinance, but in reality it was a rebellion for which I'm not proud of, but. Um, there came a point in that year where I had to make a decision. Am I going on or am I not? Um, and um, uh, despite the fact that things were so good for me my senior year, I just in my own head had this plan. I didn't want to study. I wanted a job. Hmm. I wanted a new car. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to date. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and unfortunately, I remember that monologue that I gave God I remember that location when I was praying that and I simply said God forgive me but I said no I got a better plan in mind here Hmm. yeah (laughs) how foolish is that (laughs) to any listener I do not recommend that (laughs) (laughs) well there's an authenticity in it though and I think when you're when you pursue seeking the Lord even when we don't do what he asks right away, he can turn it back to his good. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. This is where the hand of God, yeah. that, that's a pretty dark moment, you know. It wasn't like I fell off the rail. It wasn't like I stopped believing in God. It wasn't like I stopped going to church. But, um, yeah, it was dark in the sense I was so consumed. I was so prideful. I was mm-hmm. so narcissistic that yeah. it's about me, you know. And, uh, and for three years, you know, I'm, I got the job I wanted. Or I got a job and it paid for the first time in my life, I had discretionary income. Yeah. <laughs> I got a new car. Got the car. <laughs> I got the car, and I, God brought into me, uh, into my life, a beautiful Catholic woman, um, just a beautiful person, inside and out. And so for three years, I had it. I had everything that I wanted. The job, the car, and the girl. <laughs> Why'd you go back? Because <laughs> the... The echo of God's voice was still stirring in my soul. Something was going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. I think what it was, the, you know, you've, you've got this course and you take that journey and everything you've thought would make you satisfied and fulfilled and purposeful, you achieve on your own and you find in the end it's not as fulfilling as you thought. Yeah. So in the end it was that. It was just, there's something more. There's something mm-hmm. more to my life than what this plan is. I mean, it could be a beautiful plan. I mean, I could have imagined marrying this beautiful woman and having a family with her if she would have had me. But I, yeah, I mean, fatherhood has always been a part of, every boy wants to be a dad, you yeah. know? You know, every young man wants to have a wife and children. Um, and so I felt that very strongly, obviously, but in this moment of kind of like having it all and knowing I'm on that path and still having a dissatisfaction, I don't remember where the insight came to be. It came to me, though, and I'm sure somebody delivered it. I didn't. But somebody said to me that everyone wants to be a, everyone wants to be a father. Yeah. You know, you're not different than any priest who's out there ordained. Hmm. And maybe it was a priest who told me that. He goes, he wanted to be a father, too. And uh, he is a father. That's why we call him father. Yeah. (laughs) 
he he is the um, spiritual father for hundreds, maybe thousands. And that ache within the hungry, young, 24-year-old man to be a father uh, could be fulfilled if God calls him to hmm. priesthood. Yeah. So that was... Um, yeah, when you're, you're talking about that, it makes me think of, um, like, God created everything good, but he also created everything to point to him. Mm. It's like when we look for satisfaction in those things that God has given us, as opposed to using them as a, a portal to find him, like how ultimately like unsatisfying it is. Mm-hmm. It's like your, it's like your dreams came true, but your dreams were pointing you to find something beyond them. Um, so when you tried to like rest in that job or that car or that girl, it sounds like that, that inner ache you had, that call, that itch, Mm-hmm. toward the priesthood wasn't satisfied by those things. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't numbed by those things. Correct, yes, absolutely. The ache was still there. And those were all good things. Mm. Maybe not the car. <laughs> yeah. But having a purposeful job that had earned a, a living and having a, a beautiful Catholic woman in your life, those are good things. Yeah. Uh, and so you're right. God works, I mean, every person has a, a purpose, and God has a plan for that purpose, for that person. And he desires, he pours himself into that person in order that they might find their purpose. I love that John Paul II's quote, you know, every human person is an unrepeatable mystery. Mm. That is, that just, I marvel at that, an unrepeatable mystery. Yeah. You know, there's only one, Andrew Reinhardt. And God has a plan for Andrew Reinhardt. Yeah. A very specific plan. Mm. You know, he, he, you know, his hand is in your life. And constantly is bringing forth something beautiful and good and helping to build his kingdom, mm. bring souls to heaven. And he can't do what he'll do in your life with anybody else's life. Yeah. Yeah. That, the unrepeatable mystery that each of us are. The unrepeatable. And then the place that God uses that, that makes us like, we're not just like slaves or tools. You know, we're, we're like really co-workers mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. We're brought into his family. We're, we're building his kingdom as part of the royal family. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't help but think of some of the, like, the contrast between your college seminary time and mine. Because <laughs> um, like, after a year of college, like, I finally realized I needed to like, pursue this call. And I, I took to the academics. Like, I ran with them. Like, my mind just like... But you're, you're a scholar, Andrew. <laughs> in a way, my, yeah, my mind took to it in, in like... Like I was disappointed philosophy was done because then I'd have to start to study theology because my, like my mind just mm. just really was formed by that and took to it. Um, and then like God had to beat me over the head to get me to leave spiritually. Mm. <laughs> but like it started with like a, a real like subtle word of marriage and prayer that I tried to ignore because mm. I figured it was a temptation. It's so, like mm-hmm. I thought I would like avoid that temptation by focusing off of it. And that came to you in prayer. Yeah. When I was trying to pray. Yeah. And I, I thought it was the enemy trying to disturb my prayer or distract yeah. my prayer mm-hmm. with an apparent good. You know, who doesn't want to be a father? Mm-hmm. Uh, who doesn't want to be married to a beautiful woman? So then I, I fought it, but it grew and grew and grew and grew for about seven months to the point where in my first um, Christmas break of graduate school, I basically couldn't pray anymore without that, like the marriage was like now the elephant in the room mm-hmm. and the elephant was bigger than the room. <laughs> so like I couldn't turn into my inner space without that word of marriage being present to me. Mm. So I stopped praying 
I don't advise that to the listeners either. <laughs> and the rest of that, like week off, like I just didn't, I lived like God didn't exist basically. And I got back to the seminary and my wonderful spiritual director, Father Joe Moriarty said like, Andrew, why can't you look at this? Mm-hmm. And like the Lord helped me to realize that I was seeking my vocation, kind of like the way that Adam and Eve grasped for the fruit. The fruit was the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that they were dumb, like they knew God, God is the truth. They had an intimate relationship with the truth. They, they had named the animals, so they had this deep natural and supernatural wisdom from their relationship with God. The idea of the fruit was they were taking it for themselves as opposed to receiving it from God, right? And that's yeah. how I was handling my vocation. Like, I didn't want to do something until I was sure on my own terms, mm-hmm. in my own thinking. I didn't want to receive a word from God that I didn't understand and step into that and trust. Right. Um, and, and once I did that, I experienced a new harmony in my life. Yeah. And as I was leaving, I remember two of the most poignant moments as I left. The first one, back with Father Joe Moriarty in spiritual direction, and he looked at me and said, Andrew, he said, what's going to change your heart isn't when you fall in love with somebody. It's when you realize somebody falls in love with you. Hmm. That's going to change your heart. And there's some, something so true, because when Brittany and I started dating, there was a lesson about God's love in that that I never could have gotten in a theology textbook. Hmm. Like as much as I studied and, and understood and learned, hmm. by experiencing her love... I came to understand something about God's love. Yeah. That I could have read those books for the rest of my life and never understood it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, a way that God used that experience of courtship to draw me closer to Him. Mm-hmm. Um, the other memory was when I was thinking about leaving, I think I gave you a call and I came to your rectory at St. Tom's. And after we had done something with the students, we sat down in the evening to talk and I basically said like, what did you see in me in high school that made you ask that question? Cause I don't know if I should leave unless I'm sure I understood. Hmm. And you looked at me and said, Andrew, what I saw in you, at least how I remember the conversation, what I saw in you were all these qualities that would make you a good priest. And he said, the same things will make you a good father to your family. Um, and understanding that it wasn't like, you know, God gave you a prophecy or like word that like this one's going to be a priest, but it was you sort of looking into my life and seeing what could make me a good spiritual father. Mm. But those same qualities would make me a good natural father too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So those are the, the, the two stories that stand out with me leaving. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I think for anyone discerning the priesthood, if that pr- man is not drawn to uh, fatherhood, mm-hmm. biological fatherhood, is not drawn to marriage in which he will give himself to his spouse uh, sacrificially, unconditionally. If, if he's not drawn to that, uh, I don't believe God's calling into priesthood either. Mm. Because the it's the same kind of, it's a different kind of love, but requires the same attributes of character and and love and yeah. discipline. It's just manifested differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
going back, I really appreciate your story, particularly where you're saying that that when you prayed, the elephant that seated the room was marriage. You know, that's just, and you ran from that. Yeah. Um, because you wanted to kind of craft, uh, craft something for yourself. Yeah. I would say that's probably our stories parallel a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, the thing that I continue that the journey for me has been to understand that that my creator is my father mm. and and the deceiver as he did with Adam and Eve particularly with Eve is constantly tempting me to believe my father does not love me mm. that my father is the tyrant who withholds yeah. all that I need for goodness you know and I have to remind myself no my father loves me you know he's caring for me he's going to provide everything I need you know when it, when that time comes um, and so I, that's a journey for me though. I mean, cause mm. it's a, a daily affirmation and, you know, and then it's just, just a, a journey of letting it just really anchor me and identify me. I am a son, mm. yeah. a son to the father in heaven. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, I'm as particular to him as my father was to one of his six me you know mm. so I, I that the father of the fatherhood of god yeah is a starting point i yeah. think it's so much for what i've what i journeyed in terms of being loved by the father and then to be a father in the life of the church yeah yeah when you got back to seminary what was that like like after three years you're you're still obviously godly man but you know, kind of pursuing your own goals in life, mm-hmm. what you thought uh, you should do. And now you're, you're sort of going back into that place of harmony with God's will. Like, what was that like? Well, it was, um, it was invigorating. Well, first of all, I got to go back full-time to school, and yeah. I had done part-time. I did try to do a master's uh, part-time. So I got to go full-time school, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. Mm. <laughs> what a privilege it is to be a full-time student, yeah. once again. So believe it or not, I was you know, became a little bit more academic and, um, my academics are purposeful. I knew where I was going and was leading to. So I, I really savored them, you know, um, I went back, you know, like all in, hmm. whereas before in college, I was, I was savoring it, joining it, drawing forth all the goodness that was presented. But in my heart, I was one foot in, one foot out, mm-hmm. you know, um, would I be there next semester or will I'm going to transfer to a public state school, you know? Uh, so it was always one foot in, one foot out. And when I went back, it was like, no, this is, this is the path that God is calling me to his priesthood. Um, and like, I'm all in. And that was like, um, a great source of, um, of peace. There was challenges along the way and, you know, an occasional need to have that call confirmed. Mm. But, um, it gave me clarity. It gave me focus. Gave me purpose. Yeah, yeah. As, as you were talking it about your story earlier, one thing that I've noticed for me is that um, God kind of, with like my my earthly father, who's who's a good man, um, my my mom and he are celebrating their fiftieth wedding anniversary. Oh, this that's next fantastic! Year. You know, yeah, just just a great example of faithfulness, generosity. Um, but he wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so there was also 
I've heard it called like a father gap in my life mm-hmm. of like a place where, although as good as my father was, like he couldn't be everything. Mm-hmm. So that like in so many ways, the spiritual fathering I've received in the church has like filled that gap. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the stuff that wasn't emphasized in my childhood was stuff that I received in being ministered to by priests in being in the seminary and now like as a member of a, of a Catholic parish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, as you were talking about like this academic dimension being fostered mm-hmm. in the seminary and how that was like lacking earlier in your life. Uh, I was just thinking about that in your story too, of like, yeah, just those ways that, that the father came to you in the seminary, you know, like filling in that tapestry of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the spiritual father clearly is as the um well, I'm sorry, let me back up. Um yeah, the fatherhood gap in my life is is relevant too. It's I know it's there. Um I was aware of it even um in college. Mm-hmm. I was kind of aware of some of that. And the beautiful thing about college seminaries I you begin to do spiritual direction and spiritual direction calls you to kind of be more introspective and examine life at a deeper level. I began to realize, yeah, that there there's a there's some wounds within me or there was a father when you might say that of um a father who loved me but failed to meet my expectations of what he should be mm-hmm. um and uh and that helped me to then be more conscious of the wound and then seek Christ's redemptive mm-hmm. healing within that wound and then do things to to bring reconciliation to my father um and just so graced that that happened hmm. that um yeah and the, it was certainly our, he died when he was 65 so really has blessed the last you know um 35 years of his life you know i felt a connection to him in a very strong way powerful way uh, as a father should have yeah um but you know i think god places other spiritual fathers in our lives even with the f- most perfect father, uh, I think every every little bo- every young man needs to have those father role models out there for him. Uh, and so, you know, I've been blessed. Uh, we had I had Father John Shanahan, my pastor there at St. Mary's. I would consider him a spiritual father mentor for me, in, in an interesting way too. Not because he, I mean, he never sat down with me. Um, over a hamburger or a cup of coffee or he probably knew my last name was Dandoran because I served mass mm. but there were three other Dandorans as well serving mass um, but he was still very much a f- spiritual father for me yeah because he was like sacramentally present mm. so he was there from my first grade year through my senior year in high school so you know first holy communion confirmation my high school years he was my pastor he was my spiritual father mm-hmm. Um, and not because he made, uh, an individual connection with me, but because he served me in the life of the church. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I, that, you know, intuitively meant something to me. Yeah. Um, and, and little boys are hungry for fathering. Mm-hmm. So like a big part of fatherhood is just being there. Yeah. Right. And and the example he was being a little boy, you just you soak in it. You, you just keep looking. You watch him. You just keep watching him. Uh-huh. Like that's with my son. That's I'm amazed at how much he just watches me, mm-hmm. and then how much 
all the nonverbal stuff just moves him and affects him. Yeah. Like he's just a sponge that soaks up my presence. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would serve Father Shanahan's masses. I mean, kneeling there beside the altar during consecration. I mean, I'm watching him, mm. just watching his hands, watching his fingers. And, and I just glued on it. Um, yeah, I watched him in the back of church talking to people like my mom or people as I walked past. I, um, I, I can remember watching him from a distance at the parish festival. <laughs> he was sitting at the picnic table and he was um, just, while he was sitting by himself, he was certainly engaging people as they came by and they would sit with him. And I was working at a booth, so I had a chance to see him for a while. Kind of like eavesdrop or um, spy on him a little bit. But I watched him. I remember in high school, um, I had a job uh, as a in a movie theater, so I worked till 6 p.m. on Sunday night. And um, again, I wasn't super religious. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know how to pray, but I knew I was supposed to pray. <laughs> so like, I leave the, the, my job on Sunday evenings, and in our car, the, kid, the car we shared with everybody, we had this little New Testament Bible in the golf compartment. So I would stop at St. Mary's Church, and I go in and pray. And the church door wasn't locked, which is pretty amazing. But whenever I went in, um, it would be Father Shanahan would be over on the Blessed Mother side, clear, close to that altar, and I would kind of sit towards the back on the opposite side, and I'd pray and watch him, and he's praying. Like Now I know he's praying the breviary. At the time, mm-hmm. I didn't know what he's praying. He just had a book. And he's kneeling and, and standing and sitting, and I was watching him. <laughs> and I don't know how often how often these occasions came on that, I would be in church and he, as he was finishing his prayer. But it got common enough that he, at some point, as his way out of church, he walked past me at one point and goes, okay, from now on, you're supposed to leave through the back door because the front doors are going to be locked, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Again, he didn't probably, he knew Dan Duran, but he didn't know, like, Mike. Yeah. Gonna, no, it's like, okay, from now on, when you're here, you're going to go out the back door because the door's going <laughs> to But I watched him. Yeah. You know, uh, and... As Solanus is watching you. Yeah. The other thing, looking back on my story and your fathering in it, was like you you were willing to challenge me. And, and there's a couple memories that really stand out. Um, well, one of it was you'd, you'd built a relationship with me. Like I remember being on a retreat. We were up at the lake, I think. And like we probably took like an hour walk and chatted. Like there were probably 30 people there. Mm-hmm. But like you took that hour with me. And then I remember once um, being in your car, you had that little Honda stick shift, <laughs> you know, so if you were doing anything, I had to shift, shift <laughs> for you, um, which was always fun. But I remember we were pulling on the highway once and there was this, this lady on a motorcycle. She was dressed, you know, who knows how the, the let's just say the clothes were very tight mm-hmm. and you know, it just drew my eye. I looked over and you, and you said, look away, you know, like, like in that moment, you, you literally invited me, you know, not to stare at her. Hmm. Um, and I was struck by like the, the courage of that, um, like to just call me just gently, you know, you didn't say like, Oh, like stop lusting over her or, or like judge me or anything. You just invited me to look away. Hmm. Um, another time when, uh, kind of the after I had talked to you about um, leaving the seminary, then you offered me a job. 
So then you were my boss for two years. And I remember one time during that time, um, you called me in your office and you were just like, you're starting to look kind of sloppy. Like your shirt's untucked all the time. You're not I looking was very- looking sloppy? No, I was. Oh, you're looking sloppy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you're calling me out on it. Oh, okay. Um, you know, like, and I'd, I'd like gained some weight. So like my clothes didn't fit right anymore. And I was trying to like adjust for that. Um, but it just struck me that like you were willing to say those difficult things to me that other people weren't going to say. Like you were going to take the risk of like me being upset or hurt or offended um, and I think that like, that's an essential piece of fatherhood. Yeah. Like you rely on your father to have those conversations with you mm-hmm. and you in a real tangible way were willing to do that in my life. Yeah. That, that tough love part of fathering is, it's hard to do. There's yeah. no question about it. Particularly if you're seeking approval. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's tough, but that's spiritual fatherhood. I mean, if you can't be a, a pastor of a parish and, and think that, you can get through without ever extending tough love in situations where it needs to be because yeah, uh, it's, there's, it, the priest is a compass. I mean, you know, mm. he's, he's like, like, you know, all of us are trying to get to heaven Yeah, and I love you enough to say, wait a minute, I think you're getting off the path, Yeah, you know, and I'm not that perfect on the path. I got people holding me accountable, but, um, if the priest is a compass, like pointing us to heaven, um, He's got to be courageous enough um, to say, hey, come back on the path or, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like anyone else. I'm, I like to be liked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a people pleaser. Um, well, the, the temptation seems to be, you know, kind of like the stereotypical TV dad. Like he's the lovable buffoon that shows up and has a good time, but mm-hmm. like mom is the real parent. Yeah. You know, and I imagine there's probably a temptation like that in the priesthood. Like, I'm just going to show up and be fun and and sort of have conversation and, and make things light and not really go into those hard places with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly is a temptation. Um, but it would never, it'd be so unsatisfying in the end mm. because you just know that people are, are wandering, you know. Yeah. Part of these, I have to say, um, maybe not my own father. Oh, not so true. Dad, dad had some tough love moments with me. I can think yeah. back on a few. Um, but as an adult, I, I've had you know some men, you know, who were willing to pour themselves into in, into my priesthood actually, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, they they had tough conversations with me mm-hmm. because I needed to hear some things, and um, and so I. I know that I've needed those tough conversations and I'm so great. I never in the moment do you like them. Yeah. But I look back at, at how important that was to give me self-awareness to be able to see the wake that follows, you know, some of the, some of the way it handles conflict or the way I handle people. Uh, boy, without that tough love conversation, I couldn't, I couldn't, I would have grown that self-awareness. So mm. I'm grateful that I've had, men in my life who have done that for me. Um, so I, you know, just kind of buck up man and do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, think, and I think, I think men are kind of where I think it's part of our fiber though is to do that. Mm. You know, I think, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I think the world doesn't want us to do that. I do think it's, um, in today's American culture, um, men struggle to know how to use their masculinity for the, for the good, 
um, I guess, you know, toxic masculinity, masculinities out there. And, and I'm not sure how many good examples we have of, of men who use the genius of their masculinity to raise up good and holy families, yeah. to to really create a, a business environment that is wholesome and, and healthy for their employees. Um, you know, masculinity that, that builds to building a parish community and the kingdom of God within a particular region. I mean, we need men in our parishes to lead, um, but we don't have a lot of examples of that. We have a ton yeah. of women teaching CCD and volunteering for all sorts of things, but our men, um, the Lord needs them in His church because that gift of masculinity must be a part of the of the equation of pre- preaching the gospel. Yeah. So we don't have a lot of examples of that, but the priest is that 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 compass, and I don't. I feel. I mean, I, the, there's just so much. There's so many lies and so much deception out there hmm. uh, regarding that are try, taking people down the wrong path. And when you look at what the culture proposes, it's just, it's the path to self-destruction. Yeah. You know, it just, I look at it and I think there may be an, an initial enticement of freedom mm-hmm. or liberation, but it ultimately whatever so often what they're proposing leads to just destruction yeah and and there's a part of me just i want to rescue Mm. people from that because that's christ has rescued me from the path of self-destruction and darkness constantly and because he has rescued me and has by his grace pulled me back you know i just kind of want to be a part of that rescue team that brings people back to the the fullness of life proposed to them by God's plan for their life. Yeah, that that image of the compass is so striking. Like I've I've heard it said that idea that like the priest is leading the people by example. So like a saintly priest will make holy people, mm-hmm. a holy priest will make good people, a good priest will make ordinary people, and ordinary priest will <laughs> the people are lost, take people to hell. You know, <laughs> right? Uh, but just this idea that the, yeah. the priest is kind of the the forerunner mm-hmm. to the sanctity of the community. Um, and I think there's something about that that captures an essential dynamic of spiritual fatherhood. Because I think the, the priest is called to be the sort of exemplar spiritual father or to embody that most pronounced in the church. But on the other hand, like even though just because I have a, a physical mm-hmm. child doesn't mean I'm not called the spiritual fatherhood. Exactly, yeah. Like I could be his quote-unquote father, meaning I, I birthed him, I'm there, I pay mm-hmm. the bills, you know, I show up keep them safe or whatever, but not really be a spiritual father. Mm-hmm. So like in order for me to be who God's calling me to be, I think I need to be both. Mm-hmm. Um, so the priesthood, even though I'm married and have children, is an example for me of how to do that. And then there's men in the church whom aren't priests, but still for whatever reason don't have children for natural reasons or, mm-hmm. or their choice. And then um, there's other people in the church whom you know, their children are moved out of the house or they're in a different kind of style of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. So it just strikes me that there's more to spiritual fatherhood than just being a priest. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I would say every every man is a spiritual father. Yeah, amen. In his own domicile, in his own realm. 
yeah, the, to be a spiritual father for Solanus is critically important. You're his biological father, but he needs more. Yeah. You know, um, I think spiritual fatherhood in the wider arena might be about leadership, mm. about, um, again, it's like this ability to say the gift of masculinity, which is different than the gift of femininity, the gift of masculinity is utilized positively in these ways mm. to advance the human family, to advance yeah. the path of goodness, to advance the church. And um, that's what spiritual fatherhood is uh, beyond the Catholic, beyond the priesthood. So you're yeah. doing that with Solanus, but you're doing that also, uh, you know, spiritual father is a leader in the community, mm. a leader in his workplace. You know, he, the team that surrounds him, his spiritual father is, is being investing in those people and the way he's leading those people mm. is for their good. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, as I think about that, thinking of like God's fatherhood comes, think foundationally from him being the creator. Mm-hmm. Like he's in a sense, all of our biological fathers because mm-hmm. um, he made us all. But creation isn't like just a historical moment. Like his, his, creation is a state of relationship expressed in God's providence in our life. Like God's holding us all in being, mm-hmm. but not just as like a cog in the machine that keeps us going, but as a, uh, like lovingly paying attention to every detail of our life and leading us to his greater good, our greater good, mm-hmm. like as much as possible without violating our free will. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so as you were talking, it just, I think like the core of spiritual fatherhood is being an image of that is like being an image of God's fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's that, that loving the other uh, in the particulars of their life without like imposing and violently taking their will away. So like, that's kind of like that toxic masculinity thing. Is that like, mm-hmm. I'm stronger so I can do what I want. Mm-hmm. I would say is what maybe toxic masculinity is in its true form. Yeah. It, it's narcissistic. It's yeah. self-centered. It's just, yeah. Yeah. So spiritual fatherhood is a, is like, I'm going to use my strength for your good, mm-hmm. like for your flourishing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and spiritual fatherhood it looks different than spiritual motherhood hmm. um you know i i think spiritual fatherhood in in that wider circle whether it's the catholic priesthood or the father in a family or the business leader running a company or the manager of a team the spiritual fatherhood has to be employed there if you're a christian man and you employ that by some of the great examples i mean i, th- I think of Think of Saint Joseph. I mean, his his spiritual fatherhood mm. is something we could all model. Yeah. I mean, he's first of all he's willing to make tough decisions. Mm. You know, he made the tough decision about Mary. I mean, when <laughs> the angel came end of the dream, he finds out his wife's ex, his future wife's expected with a child. And yeah. The th- What do God's. I do? <laughs> yeah. What do I do? This is tough. And he had to make the tough decision to follow mm. God's will and trust. He had to make the tough decision to flee Bethlehem and go to Egypt. He had made the tough decision to come back to Nazareth. He had to make the tough decision to go back to Jerusalem and find Jesus at the age of... T- I mean, we read those stories and we think, oh, that's just a story. But no, that's Joseph placed in a crucible at a critical moment, and he has to act. Hmm. He has to make a choice and do something. Um, and that's where I think myself included here we need to be challenged. Hmm. Spiritual leadership is about discerning the right course and making an action and going forward. 
there are a lot of people out there paralyzed by indecision. Yeah. You know, and, and I think men, particularly in the home, can be paralyzed by that. They don't make the decision. They count on their wife to make the decision, and that's mm-hmm. not spiritual fatherhood. So you've, you've, I think um, good spiritual fatherhood is discerning the course and taking action to get there. Hmm. Well, I think we're going to leave and, it at that. Okay. That's, I mean, the image that I got there was like, if your family is a spear, you're the tip. Mm-hmm. Like you're the sharp edge leading the way and that willingness to take that initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, Here's another image to, to end with is that, um, so when a baby sheep is born, we say that the sheep hears the voice of the shepherd. Hmm. Well, initially, the baby sheep only identifies, can hear the view of the mother. Hmm. And it's the mother who's able to hear the voice of the shepherd, and it's the mother who teaches the baby sheep the voice of the good shepherd. Hmm. So that's, that's, that's how we are in some regard. You know, we, we are so united with the good shepherd. We hear his voice clearly because we're praying every day. We're in the life of this church. We're in the sacraments. We hear his voice. And then um, there are people around us and all, they can't hear the voice of God. Hmm. So we shepherd them so that they can, through our voice, hear the voice of the good shepherd. Hmm. That's awesome. Well, my prayer is that some people that are hearing our voices... <laughs> might have that experience too. It's just my sense that there's some men listening to this podcast who God is calling to the priesthood. Um, and I want to challenge you to like take the first step, talk to your pastor, talk to your vocations director in your diocese. That's the priest who's in charge of, of coordinating people in the seminary. Because um, the, the Lord is calling on men today in the sage to be these spiritual fathers. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's never been a, a greater need in the world for this kind of image to remind us of what true fatherhood is. Um, so I just want to put that challenge out to the audience, any men listening um, who aren't married and, and uh, are, are might feel that call in their heart. So with that, Father Mike, thank you so much for this time and this conversation, the gift you've been to me and to the church. Oh, Andrew, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the rekindling the memories too. Yeah. I look back and think how God is so good to have allowed our lives to be woven together like that. And then just to continue that our lives are woven together. Our wives, lives are still woven together. We, we're now in a workout group called F3, a little plug. Father Mike had gotten involved this last year and I saw him start to work his work already. Like I had been in it for a year and within a month he knew everyone better than me because he was getting in there and already starting to work the spiritual father there too so check out f3 if you want a good workout f3 group. nation yeah, has a great I'll, workout group i'll drop the link in the uh in the description but with that if you want to support physically spiritual and all the work we do here consider becoming a patron by going to physicallyspiritual.com god bless everyone